You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Are we on? I guess it's on. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Today's guest is an accomplished performer, having spent more than two decades entertaining. He's performed with the Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus. He's performed for Disney, and he's performed from Taiwan to Moscow, a real-life, worldwide traveler here. His performance reminds us that to laugh is to live. He joins us today from La Crosse, Wisconsin. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the legend that is Mr. Kenny Ahern. Kenny, welcome to the show, man. Hello, Robert. How are you? I'm good. It's really great to see you. It's been uh, it's been too long. No fairs, <laughs> no conventions. It makes me miss everyone. How are you holding up through all this? You know, you know, we're we're lucky. We're empty nesters. Uh, my wife is a school teacher, so she's still been working. I've been kind of her studio tech because she uh, actually just went back face to face two weeks ago. Well, prior to that, she's been virtual since last March. So. We set up a little studio in the in the house and she's been teaching her kindergartners. And so I've been kind of helping out and trying to still, you know, stay in play for entertaining. Well, that's fantastic that the kids are finally going, gotten to go back to school. Um, mm -hmm. I know here in Albuquerque, because, you know, Sarah's an assistant principal, so she's right. involved heavily with the schools and um, our governor back in November, early December, gave us this three tiered system of when kids could go back to school. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, you had to be, the, and it was county by county and it was red, yellow, green, and you had to be in green for two weeks before you could reopen schools. Well, some analysts went through and, and based on our past numbers was like, well, it'll take Bernalillo County, which is where Albuquerque is the biggest county in the state. It'll take us 26 to 30 weeks before we can even think of getting to yellow, let alone go to green. And so it was like, well, that's pretty awful. And then a week ago at her state of the state address, she said, oh, you guys can go back February 8th out of nowhere there you go there Nobody you go knew it was coming um uh, well some of us knew it was coming because only one th everybody was like well what changed what changed and i'm like you've got a blue governor and you've got a blue president that changed mm -hmm. the politics of the whole situation has been a little gnarly but yeah so now sarah's um the meeting she's having non-stop about okay what are we how are we getting the kids back what about um you know what buses how many buses do we need how many kids are coming in the the district's vote, I guess the board meets tonight to make their vote on when the official start date will be, if at all, because the okay. district by district can still say, we're going to stay out. And But if you think about it, from massive district, they've got to hire, they got to rehire bus drivers. They got to get their cafeteria staff back on board. They got all this stuff that's got to happen. And the governor was like, you got 10 days. Good luck. <laughs> so. Well, you know, but that's what teachers do they're given nothing and they, they make something get together and they make it work i mean yep. that's exactly you know they had you know not even four days to turn around from face to face to virtual teaching last march with really no support yeah. um everyone was more panicking and uh they got it done. You know, my wife's kids um, data was comparable to when they were doing face to face and she actually enjoyed virtual teaching. So it's been a little yeah. challenge. Imagine doing COVID protocol with kindergartners. Oh, yeah. So that's that's what you tell a five year old. You have to keep this mask on all day long. They believe it or not. Um, that's been surprising because uh, they don't know anything different. 
I mean, they're yeah. going into school and they're told they have to wear masks. That's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is, you know, uh, socialization and yeah. getting together. So, yeah. Telling a five-year-old, you're not, you got to stay six feet away from someone. That's, that's a bit of a challenge because they're not. Well, it all ties creatures. in, it all ties into what we do. Yep. You know, as well, as far as, you know, how do we do a show and, and, you know, work out these different protocols, you know, to work, especially, I mean, both of our shows are highly interactive and that's been yeah. the biggest challenge, you know, for me. Yeah. And I know I've, I've had some challenges as I've started to um, rework Conjure Fortune mm -hmm. and how it's going to, how it's going to work out. Um, you know, obviously we're going to have to put Plexi in the box finally, which is going to cook in there, but if it gets me working, gets me working and it'll be, it's a temporary deal. You know, if it's mm -hmm. a year or 18 months, we do that. Um, and then we'll come up with a different method for um, distributing the fortune cards. We may just finally install an actual um, dispenser in the front. So it's really authentic, just like mm -hmm. a real machine would be. So, I mean, you make adjustments. That's, that's what we do. I mean, how many times have we, we do it every fair. This isn't new. Oh, absolutely. I mean, how many times have, have you been told, Hey, Kenny, you know, we've got this, you know, a 40 by 60 for you and it's flat and it's all ready to go for your show. And you pull in and you're like, but that's not what you said, <laughs> or it's way smaller or the, the nearest electrical tap is, is 200 feet away. Like we adjust, it happens for all of us, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the people that, that thrive in the industry, you know, realize the importance of adaptability. And, and you have to have to be adaptable. And I think, you know, a lot of people confuse that with being uh, complacent. And that's not the case at all. It's adaptability, but still presenting a product that you can be proud of. Yep. Yeah, it is. I know when we spoke with Linnell Smith down in Australia, she was concerned coming up for the Sydney Royal Easter show that, um, and this was back in, I think, November when she was saying this, so things could have easily changed the government there is limiting that show to 50,000 people per day. Well, for, wow. for a lot of fairs, that's like, well, okay, I'll take that. Not for but, Sydney though. But when Sydney, when they're running just a lick under a million people, you're talking about a 35 to 40% hit right away, mm -hmm. which is a huge hit on your budget, which means how do you turn around and produce a show that doesn't damage your brand? And that was mm -hmm. one of her concerns and, and the challenges they see going forward. Um, but I think we all, even the smallest fair see that, you know, how do you put on a fair and still say, Hey, it's five bucks for a ticket um, and give enough value that people don't all of a sudden feel like, well, this is garbage. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it's in the messaging, you know, how do you message your, your community that <clears throat> this fair is going to look a little different. This is definitely not the, you know, the Iowa state fair, or Kansas state fair, or whatever the fair is that, you know, it's not what we're used to, but we're going to have a good one this year. And this is going to get us back to 2022 or 23 when everything comes back again. I think, you know, what it all comes down to, Robert, is, is how well is a fair at, you know, meeting their demographics needs, you know, who are their, who are their fair goers and, yeah. and just, you know, finding their needs, you know, you can, you, you're not going to be able to please everybody. You're not going to be able to, you know, get this wide spectrum of, of all different types of people who need to key into those people that, are going to dig come into the fair and yeah. and once you get a hold of that i think you know and there's been a lot of fairs even small fairs that have been super successful at that yeah 
Well, I mean, fairs have always adjusted. The thing that's kind of galled me, and I think a lot of uh, fair managers that I've spoken with on this podcast is, if you look at the fairs history over the last, say, two decades, um, you've got fairs that have, we've all dealt with E. coli outbreaks. Mm-hmm. They've all dealt with H1N1. H1N1. They've all yeah. dealt with the avian flu. They've dealt with these sort of um, at smaller scale, obviously, pandemic mm-hmm. kind of outbreaks, these viral and bacterial outbreaks. So to then turn around and be like, oh, you you can't have a fair safely. We're sitting here going, wait a minute, the mall can open now. Walmart can open. Target can be open. Disney can be open. But the people that actually exist and have done this over and over and over again safely aren't allowed to open. Mm-hmm doesn't make sense fairs can do we've done this we've adjusted we before we've you know a lot of fairs are like well you know we've had to add some signage and some more hand sanitizer but (laughs) otherwise we already have all these protocols in place so Mm -hmm. and i know it's a little frustrating for uh for everybody listen before we get too far into the show you've been entertaining for 20 years can you give my nine listeners a little background on your show well, you know, a lot of people say, are you a mime? Are you a pantomime? And I say, well, no, not really. I just, I just don't feel the need to have to talk on my show. So I'm, I'm basically a silent show. Not to say that I don't talk occasionally and, and, and don't pop out, you know, some vocals and, and such, anything that works in the moment. Very improvisational, pretty much a blending of the circus, theater, vaudeville. And I kind of tie that all into one happy place where you know families can come and they can all laugh together it's not it's not like a a show where that's just for kids that's bearable for adults i'm really you know i strive on being family entertainment you really do and i remember working with you in roswell new mexico many years ago probably five six years ago maybe Maybe even longer than that yeah i it starts to blend together doesn't it (laughs) you start to forget when things happen but uh i remember it was the first time that we had worked together and I was just impressed by how even being a, a silent person, of course, you've got music and whatnot in the background. And so there's musical cues that are, and your facial Absolutely. expressions that are cueing the audience as to what's going on and what to pay attention to. Um, but I always amazed me watching you the half a dozen times or so I got to see you that, that, that year, you were able to connect with everyone in the audience. Like you said, it's not just a kid show where parents sit there and, and grin and bear it for 30 minutes you connect with everybody how do you approach that show like right before you go on how do you do you have a plan to win over that particular audience it's all about eye contact and you know in my mind once i you know come out from behind my stage or jump up on stage i am there to serve the audience it has nothing to do about me i'm i'm my sole purpose is to to get that audience engaged and and uh really kind of make them a collective unit it's not just about you know a couple of different families here and here i mean actually make them so we're creating something special you know and it sounds corny and cliche but but it really is about you know creating a moment in time and and that time there's nothing going on before nothing coming up it's just about you know people letting go and um and just being in the moment and that's it's probably the hardest part of what i do i mean you'll talk to a a lot of variety acts you know how hard it is to learn a skill and i agree um i'm uh 
you know, I've worked hard on many of the skills that I have, but in all honesty, the hardest skill that, you know, that I use every single show is engaging with the audience. And that's very important to me. And I think because of that, I think it's easier for audiences to engage. You know, and the other thing is too, you know, humans are very inquisitive. So a lot of people say, well, you know, it's really something how you can be quiet and you can get people's attention. Well, imagine sitting in an, in, uh, an audience and hearing everyone else laughing around you that you missed something. Naturally, you're going to go ahead and turn and focus towards whatever it is that's going on. I mean, in order to, to participate in my show, you really have to be engaged. You can't turn your head. You can't listen to the music. You can't listen to people, you know, uh, doing jokes or one-liners. You have to be engaged at my show or you miss something. And I think that has a lot to do that gives me an advantage in the fact that, you know, that I don't feel the need that I have to verbally communicate with the audience. There's a real psychology behind building a show like yours, and it's it's fascinating to me. You know, you talk about, and I want to I want to go back to this for a second. You talk about one of the skills that you've worked hardest to develop is being able to connect with the audience, mm -hmm. and I see that as a as a difference between you um, and other performers that have good shows. But I I see a lot of performers, especially as I was coming up in the industry, their focus was on the trick or the mm -hmm. whatever it was they were doing the the juggling 75 knives or the i'm gonna make this coin vanish and reappear over here it was all focused on that but not how was the audience responding and what as a performer do you have to do to adjust your flow because i'm guessing in your 20 years there have been plenty of bits that you've put in there that you've been like this is gonna be so good and the audience just stares at you like what I would really love, and I know some people have done it in the past. I think Dave Kaplan maybe has done it. I'd love to have like a cricket sound effect that I could do that when something like that happens that I can just do it, you know, that it, cause, because yeah, you know, it, it happens, you know, right. you, in order to grow, you have to fail. And, um, and it certainly in, you know, in, in the years, you know, that I've been performing, there's, there's been failure, you know, failure involved. Not always does the audience know that the failure is there. And I think, you know, being able to pick up from something that bombs and be able to move on and let it go and yep. not hold on that, you know, you just, you know, that you, that you blew a trick or that you, you know, that you dropped your balls or that you did something wrong and just going, all right, move on. Let's not dwell on it. And you see that, especially with younger entertainers, you know, that they, you know, they start, you know, getting nervous and then they start to blame the audience and i think that's the the worst thing you know that you can do is is to blame the audience you know oh, yeah. it's like i always say and many people say to do audience participation it's like if someone doesn't come up and it doesn't work out it's not their fault you right. know it's, it's it's i didn't manage the situation correctly right. and and i was the one that choose chose them to come up so it's it's my fault and i right take that so seriously and and there's a lot of reasons having uh, having been a magician and done a lot of i mean magic isn't almost entirely audience dependent on on their interaction having done that a lot in my early in my career i can tell you there's a couple of different things and you know this that that happen either one it, it's poor audience selection you're reading the audience wrong you read that Correct. guest wrong mm -hmm. or two whatever led up to that point you did not 
set the table for the audience. You did not prime mm -hmm. them for that moment. There are a lot Absolutely. of things that, there are a lot of tricks that I used to do that I, I got away with what I got away with because it happened 26 minutes into the show. If mm -hmm. I had done it nine minutes into the show, it never would have worked because the audience wasn't psychologically ready for what was about to happen. They mm -hmm. weren't open to it. So when you set the table, as it were, and you do that a lot, or I, if I remember early in the show, because so much of your stuff, even when you, you, you bring um, the kids up and what, you win that audience over early in your show. Mm -hmm. And then you can get away with anything you want later in your show, you know? So that's I think a real it, approach to it. Well, I think it's also important too that, you know, the audience learns early on that, you know, being on stage and, and being a partner with me on stage isn't about me embarrassing you and making right. you look the fool. It's truly bringing you up on stage and making you a partner. That, if anything, that's the hardest thing for me is that if someone leaves the stage and, and they feel bad about the experience and, you know, I mean, knock on wood, that's something that, that, that rarely happens because I, you know, because I take it, you know, so seriously, uh, with that. And, um, and for me, actually just getting right out there before I even get on stage, I do bits out in the audience to let people know that, I mean, we're in this together. Right. This isn't me running right up on stage and, and doing our thing and you watching me. I go right in the audience and start doing bits and have stuff that I have to make them comfortable with me. And then it's almost like when I go up on stage, I'm bringing the entire audience up on stage with me. For sure. I feel the same thing with Conjure Machine. Even with a silly fortune machine, I still see the same thing where I get out on set and I set up. And I hit the little call out button that says, oh, I see you over there. Come press the button and Conjurer will tell you your future or whatever it says, you know. Mm -hmm. And people haven't seen something like this before. So right away, they're suspicious. They're looking and they're like, I don't know if I want to go over to that thing. What is he going to jump out at me? Is he going to scare me? Right. All these things that we just and, and it's from you have to be empathetic because people have a lifetime of experience that mm -hmm. they're flashing through their heads the second you show up on set. They've watched YouTube videos where people hold still and then startle people and they don't absolutely like, going to be me. I don't want to be that. Am I going to be on camera? Am I going to be a YouTube star over this? And so what I make sure to do is that I, I only need those first two or three, even if it's kids to come up mm -hmm. and yeah, some of the jokes in Conjure will poke fun at the guys or poke fun at the wives or put, you know, but the first three to five that I fortunes that I give out are absolutely clean cut. Here's your fortune card no gags. And so that way it draws people in and they start to trust. Mm -hmm. And then once they're drawn in and they see, okay, and then I start to bring it up a little bit and then I can do some of the more daring things. And they're like, all right, I get, I, then they understand, they see the entirety sure. of what the act is. They're super comfortable coming up, but there are times that I've sat there on a set, you know, waiting, hitting the call up for like six minutes and people are just staring at me. And in my head, I'm going, okay, I could blame them and be like, why are you guys such doofballs? Just come press the button. But mm -hmm. instead I'm looking at the whole situation of what I'm doing. Right. Am I not smiling? Maybe I'm scowling and I don't realize it because it's super mm -hmm. hot and I'm miserable. Mm -hmm. um, is the lighting funny looking on the box? Am I in a spot where I'm far enough off the beaten path of the fit? Like all of those things I look at before I ever think what's wrong with this audience. Nice. I know for me, that first pick is the most important pick of the entire show 
because if I bring some up on a, someone up on stage, and, and this has always been my deal, if someone comes up on stage and I've miscalled it and they don't want to be there, I do not keep them up there. I let them go and I have different bits and business that I do with that. However, if that happens on the first pick, then that makes people feel a little bit more comfortable about saying no about going up because they've seen this first person come up and say, uh, no, I'm not feeling good. And I'm going, hey, that's cool. Everyone, let's give them a nice, you know, round of applause. And I'm not telling them that, but I'm motioning that. And, and I, you know, still, you know, get them an applause and let them know they did a great job. I do a lot of stage whispering with partners that come up on stage, you know, especially if I think that they're going to be uncomfortable, right. um, make them feel better. But I know that once that person leaves, it's like, oh, this is, this could be a challenging show. Yeah. But that's okay because that's, just what it is of course and and you know you can't um you can't dwell on it you have to just move through that show and then when you're done with that show whatever you do <clears throat> don't go complain to the concessionaires about how bad the show was mm -hmm. you ever see other performers do that i always roll my eyes at that because they go oh man that my, that show is terrible they've got me on this stage with the, the lighting's bad or it's way down at the end and nobody comes down and rah 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 and that i always just think you know, if it rains all week, you're getting paid. If it rains mm -hmm. all week, some of these folks might be in real trouble. So right, you should just take your licks. And, you know, I feel like our job as performers is when we're in that kind of early negotiating process, or if you get to the fair and they're like, here's a couple locations we're thinking of, you tell them, here's where my show is going to look best and how it's going to help your audience and your guests the best. And then mm -hmm. they make the decision. And if they decide, no, 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 I really want you down here in the corner, go down in the corner and do a Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, your job is to give them all the information they need to make a good decision. And it, they're going to make a decision. And then you mm -hmm. like, you go perform. It just, it is, it is what it is. Sometimes you win. Sometimes it's not so great, but what has to be great, no matter what is your attitude towards it. Sometimes mm -hmm. I see that that's a little questionable with some performers. Um, well, you know, I had a, I had a perfect example. I was doing uh, doing the Wisconsin State Fair, and there was a, a restaurant that had hired a musician to come in and to play for the morning while people were getting breakfast. And my show was on at eleven o'clock. Well, I have pre-show music. I don't, I can't chill a crowd to get them to come in. So my pre-show music and the pre-show announcements that I have. Are, are very crucial to drawing audience to, to my stage. And so there was a little bit of a crossover with how they'd set up the musician when he finished uh, playing, someone who didn't typically play in the fair market, right. and then myself. So I'm still very respectful. I turned my speakers away from the stage. I did a little bit lower, even knowing it probably wouldn't draw as much. And as I'm getting ready to come to the show, that, that musician comes over and like, literally chest bumps me as I'm starting my show that, you know, wh what did you just do to me? And, uh, and I just, I leaned into him and in my, my dad voice, I said, we'll talk about this after my show. And yeah. so I went, I went and did the show and I had to shake that off, you know, and, and, and do my thing. And then at the end, you know, we had a conversation and, um, and, you know, I explained to him this, you know, I realize you've probably never done a fair before, but, but this isn't, this isn't just about your act. Yeah. You just perform for two hours. Yeah. It, it's tough that for the last five minutes of your, your set, my pre-show music was going, but 
I turned it down. I turned my speakers away. I did my best to accommodate you. Right. And, uh, you know, that's what you really have. There's so many things going on at a fair. And I think, you know, too many times entertainers, you know, kind of have the idea that, you know, a fair can't go on without them. (laughs) And, And that is just so you know, farthest from the truth is we're, yep. we're kind of like the icing on the cake, you know, for the most part, we are not the reason that people right. come to a fair. I mean, you know, you know, they've done, you know, data on that. We're like way down on the rung for, oh, you know, yeah. even if at some fairs, we might not even be on the rung at why people yep. say that they're coming to a fair. So, yeah. Well, Kevin Ridgway and I from Lady Houdini, he and I are, are real good friends. And he was telling me once, he said, you know, when it comes to shopping for entertainment at the IAFE trade show, you know, are we the milk that's at the back of the store and there's a reason it's at the back of the store or are we the Snickers bar that's on the checkout stand? That well, you know what? Impulse buy. And he's, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, we're very much a, a window dressing kind of impulse buy uh, for a fair. We have an important part in a fair, but fairs can more than definitely go on without us. Well, and we can... I'll take either way being the snicker bar or the milk, as long as I get booked. Yeah. Right. You know? So, right. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's, you know, kind of just the reality of the business. But yeah. I think that if you're in, you're truly invested in the fair and it's not just about a fair, any client that you're working at, I mean, I think that really makes a huge difference, you know, to the, to the client, whether or not, they acknowledge that or not. I mean, there's how many times have you, you know, done a fair and entertainment director said, I wasn't able to see your show and I apologize. And I say, Hey, no apologize to me. You know, that what, what I do know is, is that there are people that are going from all over the fair that are walking by that are, that are letting the entertainment department know how my show's going, the vendors around me, every, everything that's going on those, you know, that that's there. So I mean, there's lots of things to take into consideration, you know, when you're working a fair. And I think yeah. that's, you, you need, you need to be a team player. Yeah. Playing well with others all the way. I, you know, you gave that example of the guy who came up and, and got in your, your face about the music. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had similar situations as um, both when I was doing a street show, a street magic show and as conjure where I've had a crowd and I've had another performer come up like I've, right. had a cl- I've had a clown come up and try to start juggling in the middle of it, like literally trying to peel off. And I'm like, I don't make any issue out of it at that point, but I'll go up to him afterwards and say, hey, man, you know, I, I get you need a crowd, but can you please not pill for my crowd? And because um, it's, you know, it, my my run ins typically are with other strolling performers you know you get people that that don't play well with it with others i was going to give the example though <clears throat> of the dragon knights they're uh they're a stilt circus kind of a steampunk vibe they've got they perform a lot out on the west coast mm-hmm. and i worked with them at la county i worked with them at oc fair and they're really terrific group but their music when they're doing their um their little parade they do is loud and mm-hmm. so there was one point they're going around oc fair going around the grounds and they roll out um, right next. They didn't realize I was on set and they rolled out. And um, one of them looked back and was like, cut the music he's on. And so they cut the music and they just, instead of talking and being performing as it were, they just kind of did a walkthrough 
until they cleared me and then they brought the music back up and went back to it yeah. and i chatted with them afterwards i was like man that was really i appreciate you doing that and they were like they were mortified they said we didn't realize you were on set right there and right. we never would have gone that way they and and this was early on this was like four years ago this was the first time that i'd done oc and so um we just set up you know they have my schedule every day here's when i'm going to be out there and they're like okay and then they just pick a different route that to me is being a team player and, and absolutely humility and understand oh man i might have screwed that up mm -hmm. um you know there's times that i've had to um i roll out on set and if i'm sharing a spot with somebody else and they're running long either their show ran long or maybe they got a little bit of a late start because some you know you get a five or six minutes in the schedule well I don't want to roll up with this big old fortune machine right in the finale of their show. So when I see that they're still out there, um, I'll kind of pull it back and, you know, slide it back kind of next to tuck it in next to a vendor or something where it's a little, it's off the beaten path and mm -hmm. watch. And then when they get their big applause cue and they're done, and then as the people are starting to leave, then I'll roll it in. Right. It's just, to me, it's just a courtesy within the industry and, not everybody plays nice with others. What can I say? <laughs> you know? Well, and, you know, and, and a lot of times it's, it's usually, you know, a part-timer or someone who hasn't, doesn't really do fairs. And sometimes right. there's just people that don't get it. I had a perfect example or example where I had a stage set up and there are porta potties behind the stage, uh, stage left and a stilt walker doing the classic stilt walker going in the porta potty bit. He did it. And, uh, you know, we talked about it afterwards. I gave him gave him the benefit of the doubt, but it's like, you know, it doesn't matter what I'm doing on my stage because if that porta potty is behind my stage, the audience is watching him right. go in into sit walk, stilt walker into the porta potty. And uh, we talked about it, and he just said, "Yeah, man, I'm I was clueless." And you know, so I'm I'm very good about giving people the benefit of the doubt when that yeah. happens. You know, I, yeah. I I I think I always, you know think of the good in people first and yeah. but you know if you're if you're going to be malicious about it and not be kind then we'll we'll also have a discussion so yeah you want to talk about a, a devastating walk-on uh, that has an effect on the show a devastating effect on the show probably 2011 12 somewhere in there i'm doing my street magic show down at the lake county fair in florida and that show, the afternoon shows can be really tricky because it's it's getting hot and most people coming sure. out at five or six o'clock. So I'd gotten maybe 30 people and it was like, okay, I'm at least going to get cups and balls is going to be really good, right? Because I build and build and build. And then I'm like, cool, I get everybody stopped and I'm literally going to do the finale. Well, there was this old older couple that had a monkey that I guess it was a, a little capuchin and they pushed it around. They kind of dressed like gypsies and it was one of these um give the monkey a coin and watch him do a trick with it give the monkey a dollar and take a picture or something like that sure. <clears throat> she rolls right up behind literally not five feet from me and stands next to me and looks at my audience and goes do you want to looks at one of the kids do you want to meet the monkey boom audience gone and i was like you can't compete with that <laughs> like, i mean I, my magic show is okay it was a stock show it wasn't amazing but i'm like i can't compete with the monkey it's no, it's not no. gonna work. Mm -mm. And they kept doing it. They and like they weren't even they weren't as I understand it. Those people, the thing that really galled me is they weren't even like hired entertainment. They would just show up, pay admission, and bring this monkey into the fair. And I think eventually they the fair finally was like, you know, you that you can't just bring an animal into the fair. 
right like that unless it's like a service animal and that's not a service animal. well and when you and when you think of of all the entertainers that have animal acts and all the permitting and and everything they have to do and insurance that they have to do to go onto a grounds and then you know a, a live wire like that gets onto the grounds and boy I'm surprised they let it go as, you know, more than, you know, them getting caught right away and being asked to leave. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, especially with like, I've known performers over the years, like I've been at fairs where somebody literally like a local magician shows up Mm -hmm. and um, decides they're just going to start performing at the fair. And it's like, okay, there's this real kind of like weird gray area. As long as you're not walking on my show at that point, I don't care. But to bring Mm -hmm. an animal in, I was always like, what if that animal bites a kid? And then mm-hmm. they go, well, we don't have insurance. We're, you know, we weren't, we just came in and the fair let us in, you know, yeah. boy, that becomes, it becomes tricky. I want to shift gears here. Um, sure. Let's talk 2020 as awful as 2020 is to talk about. Did you end up performing at all in 2020? Uh, for me, you know, I, I was doing a, a theater tour uh, actually from New Mexico up to Montana and uh and had uh, four more dates left of it when the it, it canceled. I had a 15 city tour wow. and those, those uh, shows have been rescheduled fortunately, but you know, I was doing, doing the dream and then it got caught to the end. It was the last show. Uh, I was surprised they had me do my show and Right before the five minutes before the show, they asked me, um, can you do the show without bringing people up on stage or getting close to them? And this was like before I did the show. And I said, well, as we do, I says, I don't know that I can, but I'll do my best. It might be a shorter show. And they said, oh, don't worry about it. And so it ended up being, you know, a, a bit shorter of a show. But then right. That's when, you know, when you start to get on your game, thinking about, you know, how how are you going to be adaptable? Because every show that I do, I always do a meet and greet afterwards. So I took one of my ladders out into the lobby. And as people were coming out, I was high enough up on the ladder that even though people wanted to shake my hand, I just did like the fist bump. And that's kind of where my adapting started was right when it all happened. And I'm thinking, okay, I think, I think maybe I can make this work. But other than that, um, the only other thing that I did is I did the drive-through fair food at the Minnesota State Fair, yeah. and and then that was me, you know, working quite a ways from the from the people in their cars as they were stopping and and getting food at the different booths at the fair, and I was in one spot, and so it was more of a kind of a strolling kind of atmosphere gig, and then I did the same thing for the Packers at Lambeau Field, they did an event, a uh, fan appreciation event, where I was in one spot and way away from everybody. And, you know, I kind of do my thing and, and do my best to interact and set up different challenges. And, you know, you, you, you do what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I don't know what else you can do. It's was a very difficult year. What was the point in 2020 where you realized this is going to really impact our industry? I think probably in in March, that's where it really, you know, hit that it was like, oh, for sure it's going to, you know, be the, the beginning part of the season, um, the high season for me. And then, you know, then when you saw that, you know, I was going to lose Wisconsin State Fair, Utah State Fair, Summerfest, you know, a lot of big events, local events, it, it um, 
it was tough, but I mean, there's really not much you can do about it. Um, and you kind of just move on. I mean, we've been healthy. I've been, you know, both my wife and I have been, been very good about staying healthy and, and, and that's been, you know, good. And also, you know, focusing on really, you know, it's more like 2022. There might be some stuff I think that happens later in the year, but I think that's kind of what we're all kind of gearing up for. Yeah, it definitely, the fair managers that I've spoken with, a number of them have said, we need to have something in 2021 that even if it's smaller, that will bridge us to 2022. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think the general feeling is that maybe at some point later this year, June, July, August, maybe we start to pull that needle back in our favor, but mm -hmm. it's probably going to be 22 or the beginning of 23 before things really open and they're completely, we're good to go. We're back to normal, no masks, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but in the meantime, it, you know, it, it demands all of us have to make some adjustments to how we, how we're performing. I mean, how do you, do you have for your show? Have you designed, do you have a mask that you're going to wear in your show? A cool, uh, Kenny Ahern is a legend mask. Uh, no, I, you know, it's funny. I was looking at masks uh, just before we were chatting because I'm thinking, well, maybe this is something I need to start thinking about. Um, most of the the events, like for instance, and we've talked about this, I have a, um, a virtual um, streamline and video on demand show that I'm doing the end of February. And it's yeah. in a theater. They're going to be doing a three camera shoot and I'm actually going to be there. Uh, and it's in Minnesota. They allow 25% occupancy in a theater. So they're going to be bringing some kids that are um, uh homeschoolers to watch my show in a thousand seat theater there's going to be 50 kids and uh i'm looking forward to hopefully hearing some laughter but it's also it's terrifying to think that you know i'm it's going out there i'm doing a show there's 50 people in the audience you know a big part of my show is audience participation and uh it's going to be out there for everybody to see so it's uh i've been doing a lot of prep work for that uh you know to make sure that i don't embarrass myself too much because it'll be basically at that point it'll be almost a year you know right. that, I, that i've done an actual you know stage show well and if you end up having to wear a mask if that becomes some kind of mandate for you um you have so much of your show is driven by your your physical expressions on your face mm -hmm. have you thought about if i have to wear a mask how am i going to communicate with the audience when you know you're taking away two-thirds of your face at that point well one of the things that they, that then that's something that they have discussed and in the protocol that they put in place uh i'm going to be separated from everyone even the tech crew so they're going to allow me when i go on stage not to have to wear a okay. mask so that's that's going to be great um there's still a question as to whether or not i'd have to wear a shield but they're saying likely i'm not going to have to do that now it's a different situation because what i've done is i've adapted some of my audience participation pieces to fulfill the need to be six at least six feet away so when that happens and comes and, and people will come up on stage is i'll be actually have to mask or shield up you know to do that right, right. so so it's definitely. It, it's definitely it's it's robert it's all theory right now because yeah. it's i haven't done it you know it's 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 me you know wanting to make the best of a situation and absolutely and you know, staying on my game. Well, and at some point, you know, you gotta, 
You got to put your stuff in the, on the stage and, and flip the lights on and go and see what right. happens. I don't think anybody's necessarily going to hold it against you. If something that in, in your mind, like you say, theoretically, you've worked through a situation in your mind mm-hmm. and then you in, in <clears throat> practice, it just doesn't turn out the way you want it. I don't think anybody holds that against you. Well, I'll we give like, you an example. We like you just fine the way you are, Kenny. You'll be all right. <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> well, here's an example. And you've seen me do it. I do a mimic piece with a kid from the audience sitting on a trunk and we do some hat manipulation. And we One have of your fun. best bits. It's, 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 my favorite, it's my favorite part of the show. At one point, you know, when I was changing things up, I took it out of the show and I actually have had clients say, how come that's so it's like, that's like, that's always going to be in my show. But now I just happen to have another trunk that's the exact same trunk. And we're going to, I've worked out a way in theory to do the bit with the trunks apart that we're going to be doing it. I think if you get the, that's going to entirely come down to picking the right kid. If you get the right kid, you'll nail it. You'll nail that. Cause that to me, you do, all you're taking is, is doing the exact same thing, but you're spreading it six or eight feet apart. Mm-hmm. And if you got the right kid, you will, you'll completely nail it. Although there is something cute, especially when you get like the, the little girl there next to you and you're both sitting on that little trunk and here's mm-hmm. you who's, I mean, you're, you're super tall. It's not like you're five, five, like you're what? Six, two, six, one. How tall are you? Six, I'm six foot. Yeah. Yeah. Six foot. So here's this big six foot tall dude. And you always find like the cute little girl who's probably like seven who's tiny. And there's this contrast of the mm-hmm. two of you. And when you're sitting next to each other, it's really adorable. And the kid, of course, when the kid gets into it and decides to play it up a little bit and really play back with you, I mean, mm-hmm. the audience is yours forever. Well, I think, you know, for me, I try to play in that gentle giant frame, you know, yep. that, you know, that right away people know that I'm a gentle soul. And when they come up on stage, you know, they don't, they don't have to be worried. If only they really knew who you were. <laughs> no, you are you. I would definitely describe you as a gentle soul. I don't think um, I've ever heard you say a harsh word in in my life that I've known you here for the better part of a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have always rolled with it. You've been always kind to everyone that I've seen you be around. Uh, I think it's probably why you are the performer that you are is because your heart's really in it and you really put the audience first and your clients first and you do a great show for it. Um, I'm curious though, has navigating this COVID crisis taught you anything about yourself? Well, this actually, as far as for introverts, I don't know, this is, has been as, as difficult and I would consider myself an introvert, uh, you know, for being alone, for being in the house. And I mean, for me, it was great. It was a, a, a wonderful time for my wife and I to reconnect, uh, we, you know, it was the first time in 29 years that I was home for New Year's Eve. Yeah. I've been, I've, I've always been gigging, you know, I've been, been doing a show. So different, I mean, embracing stuff like that, that's been good. But saying that, I mean, it's tough, you know, to be home alone and not working and have that creative outlet. So I've been really, you know, pushing, getting outside, um, Lacrosse has a, a just it's a wonderful um, fitness oriented community. Lots of trails and and I do biking and trails and been doing a lot of that. So that's been good. Um, what I do miss is you know being on the road that high season from like June to November. I get 
in awesome shape. And I'm not, I'm not a workout dude. You know, that's just, just not me. So oh, come I, on now, you, you and Kevin Ridgway, I know. <laughs> for me, for me, it's, you know, it's, it's, I do it, but it's, but it's an, it's an effort that I, that, you know, to do it. Whereas, you know, my show, setting up my show, setting up the stage, doing all that, you know, you get, get a, a pretty good workout with that. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, you mentioned being an introvert has not been too bad. Um, I've said over and over on the show that as an extroverted person, I have a new respect for introverts when they're put in social situations, because mm -hmm. you're looking at, at the, um, you know, kind of the yin and yang of, of this whole thing, where as an extrovert, now I've been told basically for a year, stay home, stay in your house, don't go outside, don't be social. And there have been times in the last year where it's, it's physically, like it has physically hurt. Like my chest has hurt from being locked mm -hmm. up. It's been so uncomfortable. And all of a sudden I started thinking, you know, <clears throat> I wonder if this is what introverts feel like when they're told, it's just a party, don't worry about it. Come on, come dance, come do this, come mm -hmm. do that. And it's like, that's not what introverts do. Just like getting locked up in our houses for a year isn't what extroverts do. So right. I, have a, right. I have a new respect for people that are introverted when they get pushed into social situations. And, and I will just say this, if you're an introvert and you don't want to be social, don't be social. Don't try. Just <laughs> do whatever you well, gotta you know, do to be happy. <laughs> for us, it was funny when we left Ringling in 89 and I moved to lacrosse, my wife, Brenda is from lacrosse and this is where we settled, which is a great move. It's a beautiful place to raise a family and to live. It was funny because when we moved back to town, we got invited to all these parties and stuff because I think they really expected what they were going to see is what they saw of the videos or what they saw me on stage and stuff <laughs> that we we're going to be this life of the party. And, you know, I think people learned pretty quick that was like, oh, okay, they're kind of just normal. You right. know, they're, they're not going to, you know, be the entertainer in life of the party. I'm the one that goes to a party and hey, everybody, and I'll grab a couple of people and, you know, we'll go do our thing and, and get, you know, conversing. Yeah. It, it's, I, you know, I've always been the extrovert. And what's funny is for me being as extroverted as I am, when I first got into IFE and I would go to like the sweet parties or whatnot and meet people, I was very uncomfortable. And I don't know why. I think, I think there's, maybe it's that I'm not a total extrovert and I'm not, but I've got some introvert in me. I'm real comfortable when I'm around people I know. Like if I was with you and a group of entertainers, I'll ham it up and yuck it up. And it's just not mm -hmm. a problem. You put me at a table or in a party with 50 people. And I only know one of them. I'm probably going to be glued to that one person that I know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> until I get a little more comfortable. It's just, you know, it's been, anyhow, I digress. It was an interesting observation that, you know, introverts and extroverts, I think we've got some, uh, I've got definitely more empathy for, uh, for what introverts go through in social situations. Mm -hmm. To business, um, what's your 2021 look like? Are you getting contracts rebooked from last year? Most most of the the mid to late year bookings uh, have have turned over, uh, but not all of them. You know, they're yeah. saying hold, put it on hold. But you know, we don't know. We just don't know. You know how that's that's going to be. So for me. I'm fortunate that, you know, I'm pretty diversified in the markets that I, that I'm in. I think I feel bad for people that are specific to one market 
Yeah. Uh, so I'm able, you know, I think as things get rolling forward, I'm a little bit more adaptable that I do theater shows, school shows, uh, teaching, you know, fairs and festivals, although fairs and festivals are my meat, meat and potatoes, you yeah. know, for the year, that's what I do. But, you know, I think the biggest thing is live below your means, uh, be the most positive that you can be. And it, there's there's light at the end of the tunnel. This isn't going to last forever. And I think that's kind of, you know, put me in survivor mode. Not to say there haven't been dark days. I think we've all had them. Yep. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, th things, you know, are going to change eventually. Yeah, they will. And I know for me, I've got a couple of contracts on the end of the year that have, have renewed. Um, mm -hmm. everybody that canceled last year has said, <clears throat> we're going to roll you to, they've stated the intent to roll over to 21, but I'm, I'm getting a real mixed bag on, you know, like you said, hold up, you know, we want to do it, but we need to make sure that, um, that we're going to be in a position to have the fair and, and have you out. Um, so we're starting, I'm starting to hear kind of a, even as close as 60 days out is when we might get the, con the confirmation. And I understand that. And yet I talk to other people and they're like, yeah, I, I lost 12 fairs last year and all 12 of them have already rebooked. I've got contracts in hand. Mm -hmm. And then, so I got curious about that. And when I was starting to call people and say, well, where are the fairs? I think the difference is where the fairs are. Mm -hmm. um, if you've got fairs in uh, more, more red states, then you've got, you've probably got contracts in hand or they're, they're more pushing towards that a lot of mine, like I've got OC fair. That's the, that's the line shares five weeks in my summer. They, yeah. I mean, they've said, yes, we're going to bring you back. But I also know having it chatted with Michelle Richards on the podcast, the CEO there, they're looking to make a decision on the fair sometime in April. So I don't expect to mm -hmm. see a contract until after that. Cause I don't know if you've ever worked California before, but they've got an encyclopedia of a contract. <laughs> And they need like three copies of it. So I, my sense is they're sitting in a place going, why are we going to do all this work and all the, do all the labor on that if there's a chance we don't go? So, and that makes sense to me. Um, well, you know, too, but think of how it's going to change the industry that all these, these shows from uh, 2020 are rolling over to 2021. Well, the people that hadn't got work, they're not getting any work. Right. You know, a lot of times it's, but you know, very rarely do fairs, you know, maybe they'll do a two year contract and some of right. them, you know, will do longer, but usually there's another act that goes in there. So I think changes and things and pushes things out to 2022, 2023. Oh, yeah. The dynamics so are real interesting. And then yeah. when you throw in, when you throw in um, the Florida state fair is moving to um, late April, April. Beginning of May. Yeah. So, you know, what happens when you were that act that, said well yeah i'll go perform at the florida state fair in, in february and then they say oh we're gonna move to april and you're like but i've already got bookings for april and mm -hmm. maybe those bookings cancel and maybe they don't mm -hmm. um you know all these types of miami i guess as i understand it i read the other day they're moving over like into november they're not so miami won't even i don't know how they'll even be at ife this year they won't be because they're going mm -hmm. they're literally going over thanksgiving and mm -hmm. so and I get it. Everybody's got to figure out how to, how to get their event in. And this is just going to be a time that we have to have great patience and, and flexibility that being inflexible right now is not going to help anybody. 
Well, there are definitely a lot of dynamics that get thrown into the mix of who's getting booked when, you know, what, what if you, what if your 2020 show canceled, but you already had that same week booked for, you know, a different fair in 21. And now they say, Hey, we want to really do 21. Well, now what do you do? Mm -hmm. You know, I think, you know, acceptance of all of this doesn't make it any easier. (laughs) You know, it's, it's the, the reality is, is, you know, things are gonna, gonna stink for a while and you just gotta make the best of it. And I think, you know, for a lot of people, you know, finding a creative outlet. Alert from calendar, C.T. Gunderson. C.T. Gunderson has a message for you. <laughs> Sorry, I really probably should have turned that off. That's okay. Um, it's, it's the nature of doing, doing podcasts on Zoom. It's perfectly uh, fine. I think that, uh, you know, my father passed away uh, in March of last year, right at the start of all this. My dad's, you know, biggest phrase that he would always say is it is what it is. And it wasn't being about being complacent. It wasn't about ignoring reality. It was about just saying, really, it is what it is. And you have to, you know, make the best of it. And I think that's something that's, that's, you know, that stuck with me in, in knowing that. And again, there are people out there that are in a lot worse shape, you yep. know, than, than we are. Uh, I've been quite fortunate as far as being able to tap into the PUA that's available through the state of Wisconsin. Nothing, you know, huge that even comes close to what, you know, what I would be, you know, normally be making, but that's been very helpful. And, you know, we both have wives that are working and, you know, that's been helpful as well. Yeah. So, you know, I certainly have nothing nothing to complain about. Um, and well, just, just hoping for the best. Yeah. And you know, when it comes to the government assistance, um, I'm not, I, I don't favor bailouts. I didn't like the bailouts in 2008 of the banks. If, I feel like if you make bad business decisions, you need to go out of business. Nobody here, n- no fair out there made bad business decisions. When, no. you know, when, when governor Newsom told California, y'all are done, you're closed. Everybody's closing. How is that OC Fair's fault? How is that San Delmar's fault? That's mm-hmm. they were going to go have an event, and it's the same goes for all of us. None. I tell you what, right now, if you told me, Robert, you're not allowed to get involved in the Paycheck Protection Program or PUA or anything, you have to go back to work. Okay. <laughs> not only is that what I actually want to do, I would make more money. So, right. Yeah, I, I think we're all ready to get back to it. I don't think anybody is enjoying. Oh sitting on government assistance i would i would honestly i would rather make less money performing even though i don't i make more money performing but i'd rather make less performing and taking care of myself than than getting a handout from the government that but what what choice do we have we got bills i got you know we got a truck payment we got a mortgage i got a kid i got a raise they get you know there's expenses that Mm -hmm. have to get dealt with and if the government's going to come in and say you all have to close your businesses well then there's a variety of things they could do and that could be they can supply us with money to pay our bills or they can tell our or the people we owe money to that you're not getting paid but then nobody gets paid like it's not sprint's fault or ford's fault you know that you know right. that i ended up getting pushed out of business they need they you know my bank still needs the truck my credit union still wants the truck payment <laughs> it's mm-hmm. the money's got to keep moving through the system so just becomes a you know hell of a challenge that i think requires nothing but um, kindness and patience and empathy. And I feel like we didn't see a whole lot of that or 
it was there. I don't think the media showed a whole lot of it in the last year. I think they decided to show the outrage and the, you know, all the anger that was being driven through social justice and the election and whatnot. And that's what drove their ratings. Um, I try, I try to find kindness, try to find something that makes me smile every day. And if I can't see it, then I try to be it. You know what I mean? And I think that's important that, you know, that people be aware of that and that they search out the kindness and that they, that they be the light. And, and that's really what we do as entertainers. So I think that that's something that, you know, that, that helps, I think, helps us with it as far as dealing, you know, with this, as far as understanding there's a, there's an intuitive sense that, that all entertainers develop and it's, and it's different than I think in, than in many other fields. And I think that intuitiveness is, is something that's, you know, that's a real blessing. And, and that's something that I tap into often. And I think it's just something that, that makes people good entertainers and, uh, the people understand that, you know, no matter what your tool is, you have to understand that your, your, your bottom line is, is that you're an entertainer yeah. and, and that's what you have to have to really work hard on. Well, and it doesn't take a lot, you know, we get, I think sometimes we become as entertainers, our own worst enemies in that, oh, well, in order to be an entertainer, I need, you know, a giant ladder to balance on my, on my face, or I need a, I need a, a magic hat, or I need a this, or I need something. Um, Pafe Anderson was the first episode we did. I'm not sure if you if you got to hear it or if you know who he is. Country music mm -hmm. star. He's got his new show on Netflix. Terrific guy. In that episode, he talked about, you know what? Be the light for other people. Mm -hmm. That And it doesn't take a lot. He said, you know, we're, that mask is not, is not a muzzle. You're going to the, he said, I go to the grocery store. If I'm in a mask, I'm walking in and I'm the same coffee I am without a mask. I'm looking mm -hmm. at folks saying, Ma'am, how are you doing today? Hey, nice to see you. Hey, can I help you get that off the top shelf? Hey, how are you today? Nice to see you. All that kind of stuff that people go, oh, hey, someone's being pleasant. We don't have to go to the grocery store with a bag of tricks. You need to mm -hmm. go to the grocery store with, with a smile and a kind word, you know, mm -hmm. saying hi, saying, oh, excuse me, pardon me, you know, how are you doing today? Good, great, you know, great to hear that. Just a little pleasantry. Most people, it sets them off in a way that they're like, well, wow, he, okay, yeah, he's going to be nice. I'm going to be nice. It becomes a pay it forward kind of situation. And I just think we need a, a hell of a lot more kindness and, and patience and empathy. And we, that's how we get through this. We're not, Whoa. I think we know for sure we saw on January 6th, <laughs> we're not getting through it by storming the Capitol. And we saw mm -hmm. it all last year. We're not getting through it by burning down and taking over huge swaths of city and and destroying businesses and looting that's not how it's going to be we're going to get through this by saying hey you're my neighbor i'm your neighbor what can i do to help you that's it absolutely i think and that's something that's always been there and i think just people need to remember that they need to tap into it yep. and 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 that'll you know and then we'll move on we'll move forward not to say that there's not a lot of work to do you know and there definitely is for sure but for me, you know, I, I can't wait to hear that first laugh from an audience and know that, you know, that we're, we're in this together and we're, you know, creating this, this moment that's just going to be fun that, you know, and, and I, I'm just so looking forward to that. And I have little small snippets, 
You know, they've been experiencing the highlight of my week last week was going to Menards and explaining to an elderly woman the difference between a snow shovel and a snow pusher. And that was our, our my that was like my big interactive experience that I had last week was explaining that because she was looking to buy something. And I asked her how how she wanted to use it. And I, this happens to me a lot. Like when I'm in a store, people think that I work there and just you explain got that to her look that, about well, you, Kenny. You look like the manager. I, it's so it's just like, well, okay. And so that was my my big interactive moment, six feet apart, wearing masks, was explaining and, and helping, you know, an, an elderly woman, you know, whether or not she should buy a snow shovel or a snow pusher. What's the what's the difference? You gotta explain this to me because well, the difference I'm from New Mexico. I it doesn't <laughs> we don't do anything because it melts in an hour. Well, a snow shovel, it would be typically like a regular shovel. You go down, you dig into the snow, you lift it up and you toss it. Well, a snow shovel has a little bit longer handle and it's a lot wider and you actually push it down and you push the snow and then you push it away. So like if you're doing a sidewalk, you'll push it and then you'll turn the shovel and you just push it. There's no lifting up at all. And that's why I suggested to her, she might want to consider Doing so I'm guessing the folks in, in Wisconsin and Minnesota know all about that. And oh, absolutely. The well, folks down south are like, what? Well, <laughs> what the, the smart the smart people in Wisconsin <laughs> uh, get their snow blowers, you know, all primed up and everything ready to go in October. So that you're able to use that and not have to do any shoveling. So, well, it's no different. You know, Sarah's family is down on the Gulf Coast. They get their hurricane supplies ready. In right. May. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't wait for the storms. Yeah, I'll tell you. What a life we live, man. I, I'm curious, if you weren't performing, what do you think you'd be doing? Uh, I'd probably be a school teacher. You know, that was something that. something that I was looking at. And then, and actually when I left Ringling, you know, I, I, I really didn't think that I would be able to make a living doing what I'm doing. So I actually started to study to um, get into uh, the firefighting academy. I was going to be a firefighter. I'd actually done that before I went on the road for uh, almost three years. I was a volunteer firefighter back where I grew up in um, Northern Virginia. And that was the plan. And I was going to, you know, perform on the side. But my wife said, we just need to give it a shot. Sometimes maybe she regrets that support, you know, in the <laughs> beginning. Uh, but that's what I, you know, ended up doing. So definitely I'd, pro- I'd be a firefighter or a school teacher. I could see you doing both. Uh, definitely the school teacher. Mm-hmm. I could definitely see you doing that. You've got, and I think maybe it goes back to the whole people ask you for help at the store. Cause you, maybe you look like the manager. You just got the look you've got, you could be a professor at a university. You could be a high school science teacher. You could be the manager of a, of a store. Like you've got that look about you that is universal for a lot of different things. Maybe that's why your show is so popular. You just got the look. I'm Maybe like an every, I'm every man. <laughs> Maybe the show is not that good, but they just look at you and they're like, Kenny is it's Kenny. We got to watch him. Cause it's Kenny. <laughs> well, you know, I think it, I think, you know, there's a little bit of truth to that. I think that, you know, I work so hard on the character that I have on stage and what it is that I do that I think that, you know, a big part of the engagement that I that I have with my audience is because of the the character that I have. And it's not like something that I put on. I mean, what you're seeing on stage is me. You know, it's something that I'm digging in and I'm bringing it out. But I think that's a huge part of of what I do. I mean, I've had, you know, highly skilled entertainers come up to me and, you know, just that I'll get a laugh 
on something very simple or get a, get a response on something very simple. And they've worked years on being able to juggle seven balls, you yeah. know, and, and so the thing that you have to understand is the work that it takes to develop that character and to, to, to develop uh, that engagement with the audience is, is just as difficult of a skill and a muscle to hone yep. and to work with the audience. It's just not as obvious. Well, and it's, you know, there's a lot of examples like that. I mean, you look years ago when David Blaine did his first street magic television special, I remember within the magic community, there were magicians that were furious because they're like, he's doing a trick that costs $5 at the magic right. shop on natural. I do that trick. Why don't I have a TV special? Rah, rah, rah. And I'm like, because you don't have the persona, right? You, you need don't to have the at, character built around it. You need to look in the mirror and that, that'll tell you why, you know, it's what it is, who you are. And I think yep. that that has a lot to do, you know, with, with my performing that I think that if, if anything, that, that, that's what maybe makes me unique sure. is that, that that's, I'm very, very focused towards that. Well, and you focus on, on what the audience wants and what is going to deliver a laugh for them. Even if it's, and you know, there's probably bits in your show that you do that you're like, oh, this bit isn't the best, but by God, it gets a great laugh. And so you have it in there, mm -hmm. you know, years ago, when I first got into the industry, it was, I had a uh, performing with a partner. Um, and he was a, a juggler and he would do a finale where he'd be up on a trunk on a rollabola, you know, three, four feet up or whatever. And he would balance, he would put a beta fish in a, in a mayonnaise jar on his head and, uh, and then he would juggle and he would juggle with like, he'd do like a five or a seven ball display and people would be like, yep. but when he did it with knives, or torches they lost their minds and he was he mm -hmm. would tell me backstage he'd be like i don't get it did they not realize how difficult and it is to do five or seven whatever display like that and i would say they don't care they mm -hmm. want the knives give them the knives yeah he's like but that's just like a basic three club juggling just like doesn't matter and then when he and then he, he ultimately he kept it in the show eventually and then in the, the nighttime show he'd be like well i'm gonna do the torches on the yeah and people loved it you know you got to sure. give them what they want and there's there were things that for years i tried to get cups and balls out of my magic show i just i over and over again i and uh every time i tried to take it out i'd go to an event like here at the balloon fiesta in albuquerque where i performed for 12 years probably the third or fourth year i said i'm gonna do something else I didn't survive one morning at that fiesta before they were like, where's the thing with the cups with the oranges right. and all that. I wanted my kids to see that. Well, okay. Here it is. You, well, I, you know, I get that. that. I get that a lot. Cause you know, particularly with the mimic piece that I do or, you know, playing my saxophone on top of the rolling globe. I mean, these are things that I've been doing for years and I'm certainly not comparing myself to who I'm going to be talking about, but just using it as a sharing perspective. There's certain songs that people want to hear when they go see the Beatles, you know, when they yep. went to go see the Beatles or go see Paul McCartney or when they go see Rolling Stones. If you have a have a have a, a singer that no matter how many new albums that they've put out, there's that song or those songs that they want to hear, right. you know, special that's connected to them. And I think that a lot of times that's kind of in our comic toolbox as well, that we have those bits, you know, your cups and balls, you know, me playing the saxophone on top of a rolling globe and working the mimic routine, yep. you know, that having that and, and making that work, 
I, I you know, the, the, the idea of, of, you know, coming up with an, a, an entirely new show every year. And I think I commend people that do that. I think that's awesome that they're able to do that. And I usually change things up one or two pieces in sure. my show, you know, as well, more to keep me fresh of course. Uh, to work with it. And, uh, but I think that you just, you have those gems that you know that can connect with the audience. And it, and it again, that's probably where it comes to be where, it, where me comes in a little bit because I enjoy it as well, you know? And, and there's nothing to matter with you having fun too. Of course. And I would get to the point back when I was doing magic where, um, you know, cups would stay in. So I would keep the, typically keep the same opener and the same closer but the three mm -hmm. or four bits in the middle would change up. So they would get some of what they really liked and they'd get a little bit of new stuff. But like, I mean, it, you give the example of Beatles. I mean, could you imagine going to see Garth Brooks and he doesn't sing Friends in Low Places? Right, exactly. You'd be curious. You would feel like yeah. you got cheated. It'd be the best show ever. And then you'd be like, he didn't sing Friends in Low Places. I'm pissed. I was very fortunate in the um, early 2000s to do the um, Brooks and Dunn Neon Circus and Wild West tour. So I got to tour and to see Brooks and Dunn, Brad Paisley, Rascal Flats, all these great, you know, of course, Brooks and Dunn, you know, had been, you know, there, but this is like when Rascal Flats was first coming out. This is when Brad Paisley, I got to experience all of that, but even yeah. they, you know, coming up, they were, they were, you know, working on standards by other people to play that people were familiar with to help them out with their sets. And uh, that was a great opportunity for me to learn a lot too in production and working it because I was on a tour bus and I toured with them and did my my shtick on stages and, and in between acts. Um, and that was a great opportunity for me to learn as well about, you know, what people want to hear. They want to hear Maria you know, when Brooks and Dunn, you know, there's, there's certain yep. things that are, you know, that are going to happen. That's for sure. In your time performing, is there anything, you know, now that you wish you would have known 20 years ago when you, you got going? You know, that when I was younger, I didn't have to fall down as much as I did to get a laugh because uh, for me, now that, now that I'm older, I'm, I'm definitely paying for that. Even though, you know, I, I, took had great training on learning how to fall and and to do it you know safely is is really not an operative word when you're doing falling it's you know to kind of help not to get hurt but that's probably what i would tell me you know back then is that you know you you can get laughs without you know falling down all the time you fell down a lot and now yeah, your joints, I, now your joints and your, uh, you got some bruises still from that, huh? Well, you know, I travel with Ringling for five years and doing somersaults and acrobatics and all this on just a quarter inch thick piece of rubber on concrete, you know, so I was very flexible and pliable in my twenties, but you know, you, it definitely, you know, affects you as you get older and, you know, and it just learned, you learn to, to be adaptable. Yeah. And working with it, and it definitely helped me build my character because of the fact that was, you know, I use that, you know, to work with my audiences. I think too, 
something that I didn't do when I was younger and I really wish that I, that I did was uh, work harder on having a rainy day fund and doing some investing early on in your career. I did that way later in my career. And I think that that's something that people you know, really need to do is look at that is what we do, it's show business. And I think that if there is anything that I would suggest, you know, to someone starting out is that they really look at that, you know, yep. early on. Yeah, I agree. We, um, we got started investing a little late and wish we, wish we had started it sooner. Wish I had the forethought to put some money on Bitcoin back in say 2010 Whoa. or 11, cause I'd be worth, you know, 20 or $30 million now, <laughs> but mm -hmm. if only we could all have the foresight. Listen, Kenny, I really appreciate you being on the show today. We're just, uh, we're about out of time. Um, before we go, everyone who goes on my show goes through a little series of speed round questions. And normally I just come up with like six questions, but I just bought this new thing. It's been, uh -oh. it's been getting advertised all over. Once I started publishing podcast stuff, of course, you know, Facebook's like, Oh, he mentioned the word podcast. Here's a new microphone. Here's a soundboard. Here's this, right. here's that. But there's this thing that goes around. It's called a pod deck okay and there's five different decks and it's got a whole bunch of random questions on it so instead of coming up with six questions ahead of time i'm going to just flip through the deck kind of magician style and we're gonna okay. i'll ask that question and you answer it but what i need to know is are you going to be using a force to use some of the questions that you want me to answer <laughs> no <laughs> okay, if, I okay. force, if i wanted to force you i'd just write the questions down and ask them <laughs> but i could like it's kind of cool right i can just still do some of my little flourishes and things absolutely <laughs> okay so here we go question number one do you have a signature move or quirk that people notice or comment on yeah, for me, when I'm doing it, it's this. It's your smile and nod. It's it. For those of you listening I, I at home, the, he's the got silence, the Kenny Ahern smile and nod going. The smile and nod. That's it. If anyone's going to impersonate me, I find, you know, that that happens. I was at IAFE, the last IAFE that we had in San Antonio, and we all went out to dinner, and I was with a bunch of acts, and with Geo Berg, they booked me, so we had a Geo Berg night. And I walked up, I went to the men's room and came back and they all set it up and they were all doing the Kenny or her and smiling and nodding their head as I was walking there. So That's yeah, that, that definitely would be it. All right. Question two, if you could bring back one famous first, one famous person from the dead, who would you pick? Oh, that's a tough one. That's kind of macabre. Uh, so many, so many choices. Didn't we see this in pet that. cemetery? It doesn't go well. Yeah. Um, I think for me, I would love to be able to sit down and have a conversation with Buster Keaton. Okay. Interesting. I think for me, I, I, Sarah and I were talking about this last night and, and she was thinking it would be maybe like Harriet Tubman or someone like mm -hmm. that. She goes, it probably, she'd want to talk to a woman, his woman historically who had some historical significance. And I've said this for a long time. I would want to, talk to James Madison because he was the father of the constitution Ooh. and we're still fighting over his words. I'd like to just sit him down and be like, bro, in 2020 or 2021 modern English, what does this mean? And let's sort that problem out. Question three. I would think he, okay. No, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. You go. Oh, I would think he'd be, he'd be happy that that paper was still floating around. I think so. You know, that, so, I mean, that's pretty amazing when you think of it. 
I agree. Question three. What's the most embarrassing or worst thing your parents ever caught you doing? Oh, my. I want to know if anyone on your podcast has been asked that question. Or am I? No, I just got these. Just I literally (laughs) just got these this past week. (laughs) Holy smokes. Um, You know, I was a pretty uneventful kid. I was, you know, probably the the kid that a lot of parents wanted to have. I didn't really get in trouble a lot. Maybe I was more into this guy. And I didn't, I didn't get people wanted to have. (laughs) I think, you know, although I was really good at, at, at at hiding it and and being sneaky about it. I can't, well, okay. Um, Boy, I'm trying to think. Did you ever get busted like smoking weed or cigarettes or drinking anything like that? One, there was one time that, we went out and we're being uh, just vicious hoodlums. We were uh, tossing eggs and I got caught and we ended up tossing eggs into a car full of our high school football team players. And uh, we got chased and we, we didn't get caught by the football players, but we got home and uh, my dad said my punishment was, is that I had to go to school the next day and all those football players know who you are. So <laughs> they're going to deal with you. That was probably anything, but it, nothing, you know, wasn't anything crazy that, it, that happened. But, uh, but that, yeah, that's one of them, I guess. All right, here we go. Next one. Uh, toilet paper, over or under? Under. What is wrong with you, Kenny? It's supposed I, I, to be I'm, over. That's that's probably where I'm a little bit different than everybody else. I have I have my I have my quirks. Yeah. I'm, I'm just so no one has ever when whenever I've seen this question come up online, like you know, somebody will post it on Instagram or something. Almost nobody does it under. So you definitely you've got quirks. Mm-hmm. You're a weird guy, man. Uh, next question. Have you ever been arrested? If so, for what? I have not. Okay. Here's this one. What would be the creepiest thing you could say while passing a stranger on the street? Um, wow. We're watching you. Yeah. I was going to say, I'll see you again soon. Like that would mess with me if someone rolled up and said that. Uh, Okay, last question. Let's get a good one here. This one, you're going to hate me for this one. What slogan or jingle gets stuck in your head forever? Uh, You know, I've worked a lot with Mallory Lewis and Lamb Chop. (laughs) Yes. And the song that never never ends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. That one, that's one from my childhood that I think would, would to get stuck. Um, I think the music from small world, whenever I'm at Disney that all of a sudden, and I hate that ride, I really can't stand it, but I shouldn't have even said it. Cause now in the back of my head, I'm like, it's a world of laughter. I think I'm that you'll find that, find that most dads will, will agree with you on that because yeah. it's not a ride that you just, you just do once with your kid. Yeah, you do it because, you know, well, in my case, my wife and my son are like, okay, let's go. And I'm like, can I wait out here? You know, Uh, but then inevitably, you know, an hour later, I'm humming it. And Sarah's like, 
you do like that rod and i'm like no it's just a psychological thing that messes with my head <laughs> okay last question for you first celebrity crush first celebrity crush uh probably yeah carrie fisher princess leia oh there you go that works I dated myself on that, eh? Yeah, you did. But hey, my I always say my first celebrity crush was Danica McKellar, who is Winnie okay. Cooper from the Wonder Years. She's also my current celebrity crush. She's my always celebrity crush. She's legit one of the most. She's amazing. Sorry. This is what it is. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. That kind of went off the rails there a little bit. So the, I guess the pod decks are kind of fun. Got to get the right questions in there, though, you know? Kenny, listen, I'm glad you could be on the show. If folks want to reach out and get in contact with you, how can they contact you? Well, I'm booked by GLberg Entertainment. So glberg.com in the fair industry and for a lot of the different markets. You can learn more about me at kennyahern.com. Uh, don't fret. It's a, it's a flash-based website. It's being changed right now. Yeah, I was going to say. Flash is going away. Apple's shutting it down. No more. I went to it last night to get some bio information. I'm all, oh, Kenny, come on, man. 2021, let's go. So we're 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 in the process right now of uh, getting that change. So hopefully in the next week or two, that it will be a non-flash site. Just affects a couple of pages. Uh, yeah. That would be a great place. And then also too, my wife and I uh, actually have a program that we have every year in La Crosse at Viterbo University called Clown Camp. And uh, it's a program that's been around since 1981 and over 5,000 people have been trained in the ancient honorable art of clowning. And that can find out information about that at clowncamp.org. We're still up in the air if we're gonna happen this year or not. Uh, it happens uh, in June uh, and uh, we'll, we'll see how that's gonna go. Clowncamp.org. Correct. Is this where I cracked the joke that that sounds like the title of a horror movie? Well, you know, you find that a lot of people will do that, but our goal <laughs> is our goal is the people that do come and that do get that training. They're the people yeah. that are not going to elicit any of those feelings. Right. Well, and I think when it comes to clowns, I think so many people think of that, you know, the old school traditional circus clown with the white mm -hmm. face and the goofy wig and all that. Um, but when I think of clown type performers, you know, I think a lot of times of the Cirque du Soleil clowns that mm -hmm. when you really see those kind of, they, the audience falls in love with them. Like they're, mm -hmm. they are the stars of the show. And I think about, um, guys like Rob Torres, you know, God bless mm -hmm. his soul, who is just one of the most extraordinary performers ever. I would never have thought of him as a clown, but we were going to, we were going to do a show together. Yeah. We, we got together and he talked and we were at the Ringling reunion uh, and he just came up and we sat down and he asked me to do a show with him and I was just blown away and our styles are very similar. Yeah. And, uh, and I was just looking so forward to it. That just uh, hit me like a rock when he passed away. I, Sarah and I had the, the privilege to see him perform once down at Disney's Boardwalk Resort. And mm -hmm. he was, I guess he was coming through town and one of the other acts was going to be away. And so they called him, they were like, Hey, you going to be here? And he's like, actually, yeah. And so mm -hmm. he performed for a night and Sarah and I just watched, we kept all three shows that he did at Boardwalk. We kept going back and watching. And it was, I mean, it's the same bits, but you, as you know, when you're doing an interactive piece with the audience, the audience changes the show. 
you know, right. they, there's a, they bring a different dynamic to it. And I just sat there watching him thinking, this is, there's nothing that I've seen that was as, you know, he had the little box of, of tape on the ground that mm-hmm. you, know, you had to go in through the door and you couldn't step over the side. And, you know, mm-hmm. he, he was just such a absolutely remarkable performer. And, uh, and a, a very kind, kind person. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the kindest people that I've ever met. And it was nice. And, you know, we, we started to become friends right before he passed away. And yeah. so that was, you know, I had, had, had admired him for many years. And he was also very cool to me as well. Um, and uh, it was just, it was just nice. A good, a good fellow. Yeah. And I remember when I introduced myself to him and told him what I did, even though I know that he was, you know, a hundred levels above me in when it comes to talent he treated me like I was just as good as he was, you know, he, mm-hmm. his kindness and, and just a good guy and uh, not many left like him out there. So mm-hmm. um, it was very sad when he passed. Anyhow, I don't want to end the, the podcast on a sad note, but yeah. um, you know, tip of the hat to, to Rob Torres on what a tremendous performer he was. Mm-hmm. Kenny, anything else before we wrap up? You know, we're going to get through this. We're going to be out there entertaining crowds again. I honestly think outdoor shows are going to be the ones that are going to come back first. People are going to be starved for entertainment, just like they were after the first pandemic and after World War II. We're ready for a surge of joy. And, you know, be prepared and uh, don't, don't get all dusty and moldy you know, during this time, get your chops, keep your chops up and, and be prepared to, for the wave. And I'm, I'm just so looking forward to that. Me too. Kenny Ahern, physical comedian, entertainer, and all around one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. Really great talking to you today, my friend. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Robert. It was really fun chatting and being here with you. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Air Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.